This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you. Got plenty to get to here on a new episode, including an interview with incoming Penn State quarterback Micah Bowens, making the trip all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. Whenever he's allowed on campus, he will be on campus. He is ready to go. He graduated very recently within the past few weeks from Bishop Gorman High School. Talk to him about what led him to Penn State, making that long-distance commitment, and additionally, what he anticipates in that quarterback room, how he's interacted so far with offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka, and also what life is like as the quarterback at Bishop Gorman, where it has really become a Power 5 quarterback factory and also a spot where there's always eyes on you, and these kids take jets to games, and it's just a different realm of high school football. you learn about that from Micah Bowens in a bit. We have our five-star mailbag to get to. Really interesting things trending with Penn State and Philadelphia, and really the entire 2023 Pennsylvania class at large. We'll talk about that in a bit as well. And among those offers, one goes out to the son of a former Philadelphia Eagles star. Going to jump into that conversation a little bit later here in the episode. But Sean, for the first time in what feels like a long time, we do not have a fresh commitment to reflect on. So we're going to take advantage of that, reset the class outlook a little bit for 2021. What has been filled in this class? What still remains a priority? And uh, again, it's weird not just coming into this show and saying new commitment because it's been the status quo for us for a while. Our content has been taken care of us for, in largely in part by James Franklin and his staff uh, with these all these new commits. But uh, yeah, don't quite know what to do with my hands doing the, the old Ricky Bobby <laughs> thing, I and mean, we're gonna have to uh, to. to pull some stuff up out of the dust but I think there's plenty to talk about we're still uh, still recruiting I was talking to a friend yesterday he's, he's like what is going on like what what do you do in this time period I was like well there's always recruiting I mean it's uh there's uh, these kids are available now they've got nothing to do so they're talking to us I know Brian Doan's pretty happy uh with the situation right now but uh while while there's a lack of news there is still happenings going on we got guys cutting down their list guys getting closer to decisions and guys waiting out that uh infernal deadline of of when we're going to be able to to you know see visits happen again whether that's june july or wait till the fall um it's uh there's there's plenty going on i think there's there's stuff we can talk about i get that question all the time and that is without the pandemic what do you do when it's not football season i'm like no we, we figure it out we figure it out and if you listen to the podcast you know full well we're pretty good at, at filling the time uh in between uh january and september already so let's get into it sean there was a huge restructuring of this class and, and as it built out over the course of april we mentioned the final thursday of of march landon tengwall comes on board you wonder if momentum's on the way certainly it was and now they're at 12 commitments they were at two commitments going into that last week of march um and, and just a quick rundown we've gone over a lot of these players recently but you got your quarterback in christian Veyu, top prospect out of canada 
player who really seems like uh, he's he's all in on the recruiting uh, aspect of this thing, going to be targeting some guys, has experience down in the DMV region now that he's at the Bullis School, so he carries a little weight down there um, compared to, to, to what you may anticipate for a kid out of uh, Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, wide receiver, that that's one that he said he was going to be focusing on when he was on with us last week. Uh, the big three out of Maryland that we've talked about quite a bit here on the show, Caden Prather, uh, Jaleel Farouk, and former Penn State commit Dante Thornton. Now, we're projecting these two at wide receiver right now. They're both listed as an athlete. Lonnie White, who who was the latest commitment, jumped on board last week. And then Liam Clifford, who who committed last October, the younger brother of Sean Clifford. You and I have both, uh, you know, made it a case to say he went out and earned this offer at a Penn State camp last summer. It was a really impressive group of wide receivers. I think it was the best group of wide receivers they had on the field for a camp all last offseason. And he certainly uh, showed what he could do came away with that offer and, and committed within a few months. But as we said, both these considered by the staff as athletes. I think Lonnie White, though, in his discussion with Brian Doan, made it pl- pretty clear where his initial landing spot is going to be in Happy Valley. It's been funny to to see the reaction to Liam Clifford, um, the whole, you know, would he have a scholarship offer if his brother wasn't Sean? And, and you and I were at that camp, and he was right there with Norval Black. He was, you know, better than Malik Mega. He was up there with some other guys that went D1, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean he 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 was he was right there. He was fine. I mean he was a good player. Athlete, athletically, he's right up there with all of them. His tape's good. Uh, he just looks like a curly-haired, goofy kid, uh, and that's you know you'll have that. But no, he was in and out. Uh, I think he can fit in the slot, and he can definitely play at this level. It's been. It's been funny to see the sort of the, everyone dumping on him because he's Sean's brother, but he's a legitimate athlete, he's a better athlete than Sean. So um, it's it, it'll be interesting to see to track his career. But no, he's he's certainly a D one player. He had a bunch of uh, other quality offers, and and Penn State was uh, was happy to get him. So it's it's been funny to see that. And then Lonnie White uh, bumped up to four star status on ESPN this week, so his composite's going to keep climbing um, as it should. I mean, it should get another big bump at some point. Uh, not sure when that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, you, you, you look at some other other spots that have rated him and really haven't put much time into rating him as an athlete, uh, more so as a quarterback. So, but yeah, I mean, you, we list these guys as athletes because they are, you know, multidimensional guys. Uh, Liam Clifford could see as a safety. Lonnie White could see as a safety or as, as a weak side linebacker playing the Sam for Penn State. Um, so you've got the, sort of that air of unknown with them. But yeah, I mean, both could be uh, wide receivers and, and quality productive wide receivers at this level. So um, it's uh, it, it's tough to forecast. And that's the thing that, that I keep going back to. Everybody keeps asking, what are the numbers? Okay, what are the numbers for this spot? What are the numbers for this spot? That's not that's not really how it works. I mean, you, you don't have, you don't go out, like Penn State set out, excuse me, to take one linebacker in this class. Well, they've got Kobe King when they still want to add, uh, you know, they want to get back in on Damian Robinson or Terrence Lewis or Jamari Budden still on the board. I mean, it's just not, it's not that simple. You don't just set out to take one guy and only take one guy, especially at a position like receiver where you've got uh, the opportunity to grab such quality athletes in your region with uh, with the Prathers, the Thorntons, Jaleel Farouk uh, still on the board and some other guys that, that we'll mention later. I mean, it's it, it's such a crazy numbers game that it's not okay we're going to set out to 20 we're absolutely going to take 20 we're going to take one quarterback we're going to take one running back one tight end three wide receivers four offensive line it's just 
that stuff changes when you get into the heat of, of battle because you you find guys that you can't pass up. You find guys that you are so intrigued by that you, you really don't want to let them get away because if you let them get away, and then we've had this in the past. I mean, uh, a couple of guys that got drafted. I mean, Mackay Becton was a was a Penn State target. Uh, Lucas Naing from uh, from TCU. All of a sudden, these are top. Uh, Becton was a first rounder. Uh, Lucas was a second or third rounder you've talked yourselves out of taking these guys because of numbers. Now, all of a sudden, that's not really the case. And, and you find yourself loading up at positions to talk yourself into taking more, quote unquote, important spots. And then all of a sudden, it, it, the numbers change. It's it's just how it is. Those that are focused on these absolute numbers, it's just, it, that's not how it works. We jumped into that discussion a bit last episode, going through the mailbag, the numbers, and that's always going to be something under the microscope. Just quickly going back to Lonnie White, I think a lot more people had an opportunity to, to learn more about him in the past week since he came on board, maybe watched his uh, his highlight film from, from 2019, just to see him with the ball in his hands, kind of gliding down the field. There's a lot to like about this kid. The more I think about his potential fit at Penn State, potentially playing at wide receiver, the more I really, really like this one. I don't think... This is rocket science. There's a reason that his ranking is going up. There's a reason that all these offers came through. And you love the fact that he excels in three different sports um, and, and shows off that level of athleticism. But I continue to think that that this kid really could be a special player. And, and I, when you look at wide receivers, Sean, I think it's just we just don't know. It's the position on this entire roster in 2020 where you just don't know what it's going to look like leaving 2020. I think we all had anticipations each of the last couple of years that by the end of the season, we were going to have feel some kind of way about the wide receiver room. And at the end of the day, both years, it ended up being KJ Hamler and a bunch of other guys. And, you know, I'll give certainly give Jahan Dotson more credit than a bunch of other guys last year. But, you know, it's not like he he blew up and dominated games. So I think, you know, we just don't know what it's going to look like. Our guy's going to come through. Is that 2019 class going to take a step forward with, with TJ Jones and John Dunmore? Is Cam Sullivan Brown finally going to put the pieces together in his fourth year on campus? A lot of unknowns right there. Aside from Jahan Dotson, as we've discussed this ad nauseum, you're bringing in new faces as freshmen. Uh, you know, so I think there, there's a reason why, you know, maybe you don't necessarily see these guys at wide receiver in 2022 or 2023. Uh, maybe you project them as athletes who can end up elsewhere, but I don't think there's anything wrong with doing your best to load up on players who can potentially help you in the wide receiver room, uh, in the years ahead, because it's just a, it's been a problem area and, and you're, it's been a revolving door of, of leadership with the coaching staff. And it's just been a spot where we have not seen that kind of rise, uh, and development among these recruits, whether they're five stars, four stars, or three star players. So we'll see what happens there. And you're going to miss on guys. I mean, that, that happens and it happens at every position. And we, we like to think that, uh, you know, when these guys come in, that everyone's going to be a star everyone's going to be you know live up to that billing and it just it it hasn't happened it doesn't happen and it won't happen for everyone so um that that's something you got to take into account i mean a couple of these guys might not be in the program in a couple of years so we'll, we'll see what happens with that but uh it's it's just an interesting dynamic you want to get your team you know just like on the defensive side of the ball you want to add as much length and athleticism and speed as you can you want to do that uh, at certain spots, including wideout. Like I said, there's a lot of those guys out there. Um, you know, uh, are they all going to be special? No, uh, but uh, you know, they can d- develop into that. You've seen some of Penn State's best wide receivers have been, you know, the not the most heralded as as recruits. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, uh, like I said, I like what they've got in Liam Clifford and Lonnie White, and I think they can add to that. I think Caden Prather is a guy that you're watching fairly closely right now as that uh, deadline approaches for for the visits and the no visits. So. Uh, 
um, and then you've got uh, Dante Thornton's going to go for the long haul. So you've got, uh, as I, I think I mentioned on the, the episode last week, that, uh, yeah, you've got three separate recruitments right there, and we'll, we'll see where Penn State lands. And beyond those, you know, Andrew Anthony continues to be a name to know, and we're going to talk a little bit more about him later on here. Uh, and then fairly recent offers, uh, Demetrius Cannon out of St. Louis, Andrew Wilson Lamp out of Ohio, who's committed to West Virginia, Omega Blake, a, a South Carolina prospect, just a, a lot of tiers here and, and a lot of names, and, and we'll see where it ends up. Uh, the position group that we think probably carries the highest ceiling in this class because of the targets who are still out there, le- the legitimate, realistic targets who are still out there is the offensive line class and, and what Phil Troutwine is doing with his first year on campus, his first recruiting cycle. Nate Bruce preceded him. Uh, you know, that was an addition that was made uh, last year during the season. Going to play in the interior. Landon Tengwall, he told us here on the podcast that, that he's up for all five positions. He is evaluated and rated as a tackle uh, by 24-7 sports, a top 10 tackle nationally, but very much you can see the potential for him to be a multi-year starter at guard, uh, maybe one of the Big Ten's best at guard if, if things come to fruition. And he even said he'd play, he could play some center. So a lot to like about what he brings. I think it's going to depend on what else what else they add here. Uh, but, you know, the, the conversation when you look at any targets in this class, uh, Nolan Rucci tops that uh, often, that conversation, and Tristan Lee right there, and Jonah Miller is another name to know. And, uh, you know, it just seems like a spot where, you know, you could hit really big here. Um, you know, that's probably getting ahead of ourselves, but uh, it could end up being a, a quite a haul. At the end of the day, it could end up being a disappointment, though, if you if you do suffer some swings and misses. We'll, we'll see what Phil Troutwine and, and this staff can do. It certainly doesn't help that you can't get these guys to campus, but again, that's, that's an even playing field right now. And going back to the numbers game, I mean, you've got the quality out there and obviously Rucci and Lee are just, I think, head and shoulders above everyone else. And that includes a pretty good group in there. I mean, there's there's guys all across the country that Penn State's still in on. Uh, guys like Caleb Johnson in, in Florida. Diego Pounds is a guy you wrote about last week uh, in North Carolina. So, I mean, the, there's a lot of quality out there on the board. I think Phil Troutwine would have loved to make this class uh you know, six offensive linemen, but that's just not really how that works out. So uh, we'll see what happens with uh, with Troutwine. I think he's done a phenomenal job so far. And if he can close the deal on, on one of those two tackles and then, you know, add to that with a, a supplemental prospect or something like that, a, a developmental guy, then I think he's done a, a really good job. I think he's done a really good job regardless. I mean, you got Tangwall, um, you know, all basically all in as soon as you hired this guy. I mean, this was, uh, you know, I think it was, it was leaning Penn State for a while, but this really put him over the edge um you know, a versatile guy that you can move inside you, you mentioned he's a top 10 tackle i think he's top five guard i mean he's uh i think he's a really really good uh prospect and in terms of guys that they've brought in you think about the guys that they've brought in that we have deemed ready to go um as soon as they got here um you've got uh, connor mcgovern a couple years ago ryan bates uh, did end up red shirting but uh, you know he seemed like he could he could play fairly early i mean you've got uh, a couple of guys that have been ready to go and i think tangwall is probably as good of if not a better high school player than those guys and we've said a lot with Tengwall, the floor seems very high with him. And, and and that's something that, you know, you look for, you take a lot of chances in recruiting. You, you, you take a few wild cards every class. This is not one of them uh, from what we gather about who he is as a, as a person, as a player. He's going to come in. He's going to be a guy that you may be able to to get on that too deep very quickly and, and, and roll from there. 
On the other side of the trenches, and another first-year Penn State coach, he was the last addition to the to this uh, staff. John Scott Jr. Uh, finally uh, got got off the schneid a bit, got his first commitment uh, a couple weeks ago from uh, Rodney um, Rodney McGraw out of Indiana, uh, former Hoosiers commit. Flipped to Penn State. He's a guy, as we said, really came in as a basketball kind of talent, um, bit wiry. Been filling out that frame, 230 plus pounds now in the six foot five range. Um, maybe not that player you look to for an immediate impact, but really fits the mold of what Penn State's looking for with the wingspan, that length off the edge. And then defensive tackle um, is one of those spots that remains on field, Sean. So you got one defensive lineman on board right now. The numbers, we've talked about this, it's kind of a, a role reversal in this class. You're looking more towards the edge than you are interior lineman because of what the numbers, numbers dictate on your roster. Um, so it's something to, to consider moving forward. And um, it, it, it just does not project as a as a huge defensive line class, certainly. Well, first off, I got to get in touch with Rodney McGraw and figure out how to make 235 pounds wiry because I could really use that right now. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, defensive end re- remains a numbers uh, need. It remains a talent uh, standpoint uh, from a talent standpoint you want to continue to add to that room that's brought in some some quality talent I like Rodney McGraw I mean you've got uh, George Wilson who came out with his top seven this week is a really good looking prospect and uh, Trevally Price down in North Carolina so the names aren't uh, widespread but there's a, a mold that they're looking for and, and it's probably looking a little bit better once you get one of those guys in the boat in a Rodney McGraw it looks better uh, defensive tackle is kind of the the opposite there's a lot of names out there I'm, I, I've got a big board dropping here this morning that should be out by the time uh, this this episode posts and there's a bunch of defensive tackles on there and there probably shouldn't be considering that they only need one in this class they only want one in this class um, is that one of those spots where you know you want one if if and it's funny because you've brought in so many defensive tackles that you don't even need one in this class but you look at the quality that's out there and then maybe does that number swell to two because you find a guy that you can't turn away it's 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 kind of the uh, just kind of the twilight zone when you think about where Penn State's been with its defensive recruiting or defensive tackle recruiting in recent years. So yeah, I agree. The defensive line group uh, going to remain small, uh, setting out to take a couple of. The- of those defensive ends, and obviously with the with the John Scott change uh, from Sean Spencer, names have changed, but uh, the I guess the uh, the target remains the same. I haven't had a chance to check out your uh, big board yet, Sean, but the name that sticks out to me at defensive tackle, Kevin Gilliam, I just like a lot about that kid from a physical standpoint, what he's done in the classroom during his high school career. Um, I, I, Penn State coaches have a lot more intel on this kid, but it seems like it, it's a good reciprocal uh, relationship right now between those two parties. He had mentioned to me about the official visit plans at Penn State. We'll see when those take place, but he's the name that stands out to me at defensive tackle. I would agree with you. Um, he's my highest guy on the list. Um, I, I don't know that he's the top guy on Penn State's board. There's some really good ones out there that uh, you know they're sort of trailing for right now, uh, but Gilliam seems like the most logical fit, and then we'll go back to what we were saying about Christian Veyu a couple of months ago. Gilliam seems like the most logical logical fit to end up in this class. And I, I agree. I think he's a, a really good player. He's one of those guys that uh, sort of in the, that Hakeem Beeman mold that you're going to have to build up from from a defensive end, move him to the inside, be a quick little three technique that can get into the backfield. And and they've had success with those types of guys. And and we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, I think Gilliam, you could do a, a lot worse than Kelvin Gilliam in this class at, at defensive tackle. Judge Culpepper took a similar path a couple years ago. Uh, sounds like a guy who's on the rise in this 2020 roster. 
roster as well at defensive tackle. Linebacker has been a great spot for Penn State. It's a room that is uh, packed with talent here in 2020. Four five-star prospects when you go by the 24-7 sports ratings in the past three cycles. Headlined, of course, by All-American Micah Parsons, who uh, enjoy him while you got him with Micah because this linebacker group is going to continue to change moving forward. Kobe King, uh, he is not going to draw those kind of accolades. Right now, I think he's a high three-star when you look at the 24-7 sports ratings. Him and his twin brother, Kalen King, at cornerback in this class. I think the question with Kobe, is he a three-down linebacker? Uh, is he a two-down linebacker? And, and how does that work long-term? Um, what else do you think is brewing at linebacker right now, Sean? Because as we've said a lot on this show, um, they've done a great job uh, reinforcing depth there. And they've got a lot of young up-and-comers in that room right now. Yeah, first with Kobe, he's uh, he's Jason Cabinda, he's uh, Ellis Brooks, he's he's a Mike all the way, a guy that's not a three down linebacker, and and that's fine. I mean, you need those guys on your roster, but uh, there's the, the there's a reason that there's they're still looking for linebackers because they they set out to take one. Obviously, top target Damian Robinson is is committed to Maryland. Um, you know that that one seems fairly solid for the Terps right now. Let me tell you this, Sean, real quick. Uh, let me rain on the parade further. Landon Tengwall says that Robinson's a lock for Maryland. He thinks it's a done deal. And and Landon is a kid who I think would leave that door open a little bit for us if, if he wanted to. He shut it when I brought up Damian Robinson. He said he said they'll be seeing each other on the field as opponents. He thinks that one is a done deal. They are Twitter opponents right now, from what I've seen. <laughs> they are always chirping at each other. The Terps still have to play a regular season of football, so that that's also on the table, right? Uh, I mean, if you're Mike Loxley, you'd probably rather see the alternative, <laughs> right. um, considering what that they're bringing back. But uh, no, I mean, it's, uh, it, it, you know, Damian Robinson's the guy that they set out to take at, in that Micah Parsons mold. Didn't work out. Terrence Lewis is a guy they th- thought they were going to get up for an official visit. He's committed to Tennessee. And there's a couple other names out there. Um, you know, when you go down further down the list, Jamari Budden's still out there. I mean, there's, there's just, it, linebacker is such an intriguing position because you you've got a guy and he doesn't really fit the athleticism and the the pedigree that you brought in over the last couple of years but he's still you know he's still a good solid high school player um and then you know you want to find you want to go find that guy there's just not that many dudes out there that 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 fit the bill of what you've brought in so it's a it's an interesting line to walk i could see them packing it in and not taking another linebacker i could see them you know you know maybe taking one of those safeties that we're going to talk about here in a little bit and 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 turning them into a linebacker it's just i don't think there's any quick fix i don't think there's any easy answer for linebacker backer unless they do decide to to push for button and and say hey your spot's here and you better take it and 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 i could see that happening too i mean there's there's so many unknowns with linebacker just because there isn't that uh you know that 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 no-brainer in that in that room or excuse me in that uh on that board so it's a it's an interesting situation that will end up playing itself out and is linebacker um sort of the the spot that sacrifices its extra spot for another position it could very well be We'll find out. And, and based on that conversation with Landon Tengwall, I'm not sure I'll have the story up before this episode is up, but it'll be up sometime this week um, on, on how Michigan remains a priority for Penn State and with some of these uncommitted players. And Jamari Budden, uh, certainly still a relevant name on the radar for the Nittany Lions uh, from what we gather. Uh, mentioned Kalen King, the twin brother of Kobe King out of, out of Detroit. Uh, he's at the cornerback position, gets a four-star rating. Uh, Jeffrey Davis out of Connecticut, also expected to play cornerback at Penn State. This is a position they hit very hard and to what looks like uh, paying big dividends out of the 2019 class quick emergence for guys like Keaton Ellis Marquise Wilson great feedback on Daquan Hardy and Joey Porter Jr. more so behind the scenes Porter played a bit Um, but you know one guy last cycle with Joe Johnson 
feels like a spot that they're not quite done there yet, even with the pair on board. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got options there. Uh, Tony Grimes obviously came out or was saying he's going to have a top three by the end of the month. That's interesting because he was going to run it, uh, run his decision all the way up to December. So sort of speeding things up, maybe tiring of the process. We'll see. I think Penn State's still in there. I don't think they're a lock to make that top three, but I, you know, as of right now, I would lean toward yes. Um, but uh, it's uh, very much up in the air because there's some quality programs in there. And then Dejon De- Warren uh, from Lackawanna. I mean, he, he, this is a kid that wants to take visits, wants to get out and see some things. He's only seen Penn State for the most part. And, you know, Penn State's in a great spot because of it. But, you know, wants to sort of, uh, you know, experience all this stuff. The, the thing I keep going back to with Warren is, you know, who who at Lackawanna, who have they, have they offered and not gotten? I mean, that's the that's the thing you got to get back to. Uh, Penn State's done so well at that school, at that junior college. And and they did a good job identifying Warren early, making him a priority and going with it. So I still have Penn State there. Um when you take into account numbers on a position by position basis, you really don't count him as much because he is the junior college guy that's going to come in as a junior with junior eligibility. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of different, but those are two guys that they're going to hold out probably as long as they can to 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 to, to wait for a decision for. At safety, different players here, a nice kind of blend at, at the spot. Jalen Reed, uh, we've gone over, you know, that thumper. Um, I think a lot of folks have likened him to a Marcus Allen kind of player. Uh, we'll see how his career develops, but a four-star safety prospect out of Detroit. Zaki Wheatley has drawn interest uh, from the Power 5 level at wide receiver, labeled an athlete, I believe, still by 24-7 sports, but plans on playing safety when he gets to campus. And uh, again, I think that's a nice duo to, to work with. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's you're still looking for an elite guy there. Obviously, uh, D- Derek Davis Jr. is the guy that everybody sort of uh, zones in on, and we do as well. Um, Donovan McMillan's still out there. A couple other guys, um, you know, outside the the region that they're still in on. Uh, so, I mean that that that's a spot where you know it looks good right now. It would look great with Derek Davis Jr. I'll say that. Do you think at the end of the day, if they get to December and both McMillan and Davis, the in-state safeties, uh, have drawn a ton of offers, probably like 80 combined, uh, if they end up elsewhere, not at Penn State, is that a significant concern for you that, that you didn't come away with either of those guys in the safety class? I would say so. I mean, I think Derek Davis is a guy that you've been recruiting since he was a freshman and, and you look at what they've done at safety in the last couple of years and they've they've fallen a bit short. You know, they've they, they've taken less than they wanted to. They've uh, you know, last year they had Elijah Gaines committed for a while and you know, even then you didn't feel great about where they stood with with safety. So, we'll see what happens with that. It, I think it depends if any of those corners eventually do move over and you saw, you saw them move Trent Gordon this offseason. So safety is a, is a legitimate spot that you're kind of scratching your head over. You're waiting for that big time guy to come along. That big time guy does come along in Derek Davis. And I'm not trying to downplay McMillan here, but I don't think they're the, they're on the same level as prospects. And and yeah, this is a, a guy in your wheelhouse. You've got prior relationships with, you've recruited uh, the heck out of him for a long, long time. And that's, uh, you know, if you miss out on him, that's... Uh, that I don't I don't want to say it's saying something about your your program or where you're at, but that's a that's a guy that you should go out and get. And for Penn State safety, the one spot on the field when we look at the projected starting lineup for this team in 2020, where both those players are seniors, Jaquan Brisker and Lamont Wade. Um, kicker got addressed in this cycle, uh, same day as Christian Veyu, same hour as Christian Veyu, Sanders Sahadak, in-state kicker. Um, 
don't have much more to say on him personally, Sean. He's got a leg. Cole's rated him highly. That's always good to see. Uh, but again, this is uh, one of those rare cases. And and as Joe Lorig said when we discussed this, uh, you can't miss on these kind of offers because they are few and far between that a special teams coordinator gets the green light to actually go out and extend one of these things. How about how about in terms of uh, all, your all time poorly timed commitments? I mean, <laughs> you just you commit the same hour as a, as a quarterback, and that's uh, that's tough. I mean, I think Sander was in first, um, so at least he did get a couple of minutes, and then all of a sudden, boom! Uh, Franklin comes back with another tweet, and it's a quarterback, and it's the guy. Uh, you know, no offense to kickers, and I love kickers, and we love Sam Ficken on the show. He's a good friend, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate for the kicker in that situation. So uh, even even if you are number one at your position, as Sander is by Coles, uh, that's that's the treatment that you're going to get. So maybe it's just getting him ready for the next level. Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, yeah, I mean, is <laughs> what are we going to do? We're going to break down kickers here. You and I, obviously, neither of us are kickers, have a kicking history. I'll go with Coles. Uh, you know, being a lefty is kind of uh, kind of uh, messes with the system a little bit, but he's got a strong leg. He's he's kicked some some quality field goals, kicked it far and, and kicked it straight, and that's kind of what you're looking for. If you want to get in-depth analysis, kick it far, kick it straight, you got a good one. You stole my analysis. I was going to say from breaking down the film that I saw of Sander – I noted that he kicked with his left foot, and that was uh, that was really what I had for you. So defensive tackle, we said, remains unfilled. Running back and tight end, two positions that I would put up there with linebacker. And when you t- talk in terms of where it is now, where it could be in the future for Penn State with talent. And this is evolving. It's getting to the point where, you know, you wonder after back-to-back cycles with four-star prospects, two of them in each of the past two classes at running back, another two coming on board at tight end this past cycle, do you maybe take a skip on this class if you can't find the guy and go all in after elite talent in 2022? I, I don't anticipate that happening, but at the same time, you know, you could see it at running back. I mean, you look at where Penn State was with Corey Kiner, and I thought they were in a fantastic spot. And then all of a sudden, we had talked about some things. They weren't sure how fast he was. They weren't sure, you know, some of the measurements and, and analytics and all that kind of stuff. So, then decided to go another direction, hold out and, and wait for a guy like Donovan Edwards. Will they get Donovan Edwards? I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's looking like a long shot right now because nobody can visit and he hasn't visited. So, I mean, it, it it's in, it, it's twofold here in that. Penn State's not going to just settle on any running back that they they could get. You know, just there are running backs out there that they could get. And, you know, maybe they'll turn into quality players one day, but they've decided to go a different route. They've decided to to, to hold out for a guy like uh, Donovan Edwards or uh, yeah, Amari Daniels down in Florida. And it, it, there's there's so many different levels to this because the, the room is stacked, obviously. Numbers are what they are. With running back, it's kind of different. You've got transfers, you've got injuries, you've got things like that. But at the same time, um, you're not just taking a guy to put into that room. I mean, no offense to Malik Newton, the kid from from uh, Virginia who Steve Wilfong had a crystal ball pick in for Penn State. But you put him in that room, who's he unseating? I mean, he's not... Uh, He's not stronger than Noah Kane. He's not faster than any of these guys. So it's just a tough room to fit into. And we talked about that a little bit with linebacker, but it's such a tough, uh, tough spot to break through. And Donovan Edwards could be that guy. Amari uh, Daniels could be that guy. So uh, it's it's a really interesting situation. Um, and I, I sort of applaud the staff for not just taking a guy. So, I mean, I think that's the way to go. And then a tight end. You've got lines in the water all over the country. Uh, we've talked about Maliki out in, uh, we, uh, excuse me, out in Nevada. Um, you know, still got a great shot there. They're still in it with Brock Bowers, still in it with Jack Pugh. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of numbers. I would, 
you know, if you're if you're cutting it down and seeing which would they go without in this class, I would say more so running back than tight end. But uh, that's just that's kind of how it would play out. And also, the last time they set out not to take a running back, they took Journey Brown in December, and it worked out pretty well for them. Worked out very well, it turns out. Um, a little bit more on Maliki Matavayo coming up. Uh, Micah Bowens knows him pretty well. Both uh, Nevada standouts. So stay tuned for that conversation. We get into that recruitment in just a bit. Um, quickly going through some uh, makes the cut moments that took place in the past uh, few days Sean topless uh, are out and about once again Penn State on several of them uh, they range in size Tristan Lees for example five-star tackle top 15 um, and then you work your way to a top six for Dylan Fairchild uh, offensive guard a number two guard in 24 7 sports rankings out of Georgia he's got a top six where Penn State is the only non-SEC school I thought that was pretty interesting um, for a kid who you know you want to get on campus so uh, working through those two really quick on the offensive line we've talked about Lee for a bit and then on the defensive side of the football uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins out of South Carolina. This is one of the John Scott offers that came through, a guy that he had previously targeted with the Gamecocks. Uh, he's got a top six out. Uh, Penn State is on it. May commit this weekend, but he wants to take five officials. Make of that what you will. Sounds like it's pretty open-ended, even if a decision comes this weekend. And then George Wilson out of Virginia Beach, a defensive end, another one of those uh, guys with plenty of pounds to add in his future if he wants to play Power 5 football, but he's got all those offers. Um, and, and Sean, he's down to a top seven. And another guy who picked up an offer after John Scott arrived and who is familiar with Scott from being recruited by him at South Carolina. George Wilson, suddenly a, a pretty important recruit for Penn State. You look at that top seven, he's all over the place. I mean, he's got uh, Arizona State and Wake Forest and South Carolina, you know, just it's sort of all over the place with his schools. Um, and and that's, that's a battle I could see Penn State winning. I mean, you've got uh, location on your side against some of the schools that he has listed. So we'll see uh, where that goes. Uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, uh, you would have you know, in a different scenario, in a different cycle, maybe Penn State's in it a little bit more. I think it says something that they made his top six. And by the way, this kid's very good. He's he's a three-star composite. We have him a four-star at 24-7 sports. He is huge and he is good. So, um, you know, I'm going to continue to see him move up the rankings. I don't know if he does commit on Sunday. If he does, is it South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee's obviously been on a roll. You can't deny what they've been doing lately. So um, I don't think it's Penn State, but you've also got a chance to, to get him up later in the process because of his relationship with John Scott Jr. Andrew Anthony, we've talked about a bunch. I mean, if you're outside the Maryland three right now, you're probably in the next tier. And I think Anthony fits that. Dylan Fairchild, uh, you know, I go back to what I said about Phil Troutwine a little bit earlier doing a heck of a job with some of these guys. I mean, really no reason Penn State should be on that list. I mean, you've got five SEC schools for a kid that or yeah, for a kid that Georgia wants, for a kid that uh, you know, Tennessee wants and Auburn wants and you know, they've got uh, he's a priority for a lot of these schools and Penn State who hasn't gotten him on campus, who really he just knows through Phil Troutwine and through the relationship he has with them, makes that list. I think it says something. I think they come up short in this one, but at the end of the day, um, it's a good spot to, or it's it's a good group to be in. And Tristan Lee's top 15. I mean, Penn State was going to be in that. I mean, Penn State's in his top five. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, with his recruitment. I still think Clemson's the, the school to watch there. Um, but he's been to Penn State plenty of times. He's familiar with that. And all of a sudden, if location becomes more of a factor, we'll, we'll see what happens. 
top 15s are always, you know, you, you kind of giggle at them a little bit, but they're a little bit more substantial when it is a kid going from 40 offers to 15. I've seen kids go from about 19 offers to 15 on some of these cutdowns. So uh, at, le- at least you can take that away from it. As you mentioned, Anthony putting Penn State in his top group, that is 10 schools. Still, still a lot to work with there. As we've mentioned, uh, he's been really trying to get uh, on campus for an official visit. Had one penciled in for May. That's been canceled. Trying to reschedule for June. Who knows if that's possible? Um, again, a kid that I think would really uh, like to be a member of the Penn State recruiting class, uh, although I think there are other schools that are certainly in it uh, for him right now, as his list would suggest. You said Tony Grimes, uh, top three is coming. He says May 31st is the date for those three finalists. He's working with a top eight currently that came out in early April. Penn State is on it. Um, so there's a bit of a rundown uh, of kind of what's going on in the recruiting world um, and, and what's going on with the Penn State class. Hopefully that kind of reset things for our list listeners and for us just because uh, again first time in a while we haven't had a commitment to welcome to the class and, and break down so that's where things stand 12 guys on board here uh, in the second week of May um, coming up we have the interview with Micah Bowens the quarterback of the 2020 Penn State recruiting class uh, he is on the verge of his arrival in Happy Valley what's he looking forward to what are his ambitions in that QB room additionally uh, Penn State offers a few players in the Philadelphia freshman class including the son of a former Eagles stand out we got our five-star mailbag to get to and plenty more here on the lines 24 7 podcast stay with us this is tony kornheiser show i'm tony we expected someone else so what exactly is the show about hmm i don't know it's a sports show nominally football's over but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck greatest three words in the english language pitchers and catchers we have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. The latest guest here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, been working on getting him on for a while. We appreciate this. And he's a recent graduate of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, Nevada. Micah Bowens, incoming quarterback for the Nittany Lions, was hoping to get on campus here in State College for the first summer session. Not going to happen for obvious reasons, but eventually he will be in Happy Valley. He will be playing quarterback. And Micah, congratulations on wrapping up your high school career. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. 2,316 miles. When I looked at my Google Maps, that is the distance from Beaver Stadium to Bishop Gorman's. So that's a long way. I don't think in in the Franklin era, there have been many recruits that have traveled that kind of distance to enroll at the university. You needed one visit to make this decision. The announcement coming in February 2019. Obviously, you got back to campus quite a bit more after the commitment, but why did it make sense from your vantage point after spending such a short amount of time actually here in town? Uh, well, you know, uh, I tried to visit all the schools I got offers from and even schools that I didn't have offers from yet that I was planning on getting. But when I took <clears throat> when I took that visit to Penn State, it was just I felt at home with the, with the, the coaches, the players, the atmosphere. And I just knew 
I had a feeling that that's where I wanted to be. And, you know, I felt like it was a sign that that's, that's where I was meant to be. What other schools were, were in that forefront for you? Let's say before you got to Penn State and the Nittany Lions won you over and, and led you to that decision, where was your mind in terms of other campuses you could have seen yourself at? You know, honestly, I didn't plan on committing that early, but, you know, it just blew me away when I was there. And, you know, it just took everything. It just took the head front immediately after I was there. Steve Wiltfong wrote a good piece shortly after your commitment about the way you did it. Uh, pretty special for your family. You surprised your father on his 50th birthday. Apologies uh, to, to Mr. Bowens for putting his age out there like that. But obviously, that's a milestone birthday. Um, can you kind of tell our listeners what went into that? Because I think it's something that, that a lot of people may have missed that article along the way. And, and uh, you know, pretty cool uh, insight to, to how you went about announcing this, not just to the world, but also within your household. You know, it was a it was a surprise birthday, obviously, um, and it was like all of our close family, relatives, all our, all of our immediate family, and a lot of our close family friends. But uh, my sister, my oldest sister, I have four siblings, I have two older sisters and two younger brothers. Uh, my oldest sister actually came up with the idea that we uh, put a, a video, like a compilation video, together for our dad to play at the party. And you know, I, it was soon after my visit. And, you know, I thought it would be a good idea. And then I surprised him on his birthday with that. I thought it'd be a pretty good gift to him. So it, it's a compilation of family stuff for the most part. And then what, you pop up and announce your commitment? Is that how that works? Yeah, basically. But my video was at the end. And it was basically, everybody's video was about a minute long. And uh, just basically thanking him and, you know, sharing memories that we've had with him. And, you know, after I gave my little speech, at the end came my commitment. <laughs> you should have seen the look on his face. Well, you said yourself, you kind of surprised yourself and the fact that you were ready to commit at that stage. How surprised was dad? Oh, he was super surprised. He, he started crying. <laughs> wow. Uh, tears of joy, I would imagine. Uh, big moment for you. But when you go to a program like Bishop Gorman, and you play the position of quarterback at Bishop Gorman. Like I've been covering recruiting at the national level for, for almost a decade now, and I think Bishop Gorman is the only school I can tell you the last four starting quarterbacks. I mean, that, there's not a lot of schools I can say. Randall Cunningham II, Tate Martell, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Micah Bowens. There's, there's your last four starting quarterbacks at Bishop Gorman. It's a special place for football. It's a special place to play the position. What is different about life as a quarterback at Bishop Gorman than what you may encounter at just about anywhere else in America? Yeah, regardless of position and even regardless of sports, I think Bishop Gorman holds itself to a higher standard academically and athletically. So, you know, just being able to be the head of that football team and being able to lead those guys, it just it was a it was a great blessing. Now, were you at Bishop Gorman from freshman year on? Yes, sir. So your freshman year then that would have been Tate Martell's senior year or my off by year? Yes, that was a senior year. So Tate, Tate Martell is a senior year of freshman. Dorian Thompson's waiting in the wings, playing a little wide receiver. He's all over the place. He ends up at UCLA signing there. Tate Martell, you probably put him up with Kyler Murray as the most successful high school quarterbacks of the modern era at, at, at that kind of level of competition. So when he leaves and then Dorian takes over, does well, more state championships, he moves on, goes to the Pac-12 what kind of shoes are we talking? I mean, do you feel that, that the shoes that you have to fill uh, when you step on up as a junior? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, my sophomore year, I was actually on the varsity team. I was starting at corner. 
So, you know, I started to get a feel for it pretty early. And, you know, once I got my feet wet, you know, I started to feel more and more comfortable. And then going into my senior year, I was, you know, I felt, you know, in a place where I can make a lot of things happen. Considering your proximity or lack thereof to campus here at Penn State, you got back quite a bit. We saw you in, in action at, at the June camp last year. We saw you at the Blue-White game. Uh, you were back for the whiteout game against Michigan. You were back for an official visit in December. How important was it to you a, as a member of that recruiting class and relatively early member of that class because it changed so much last summer to keep getting back, to keep showing your face, to keep getting uh, a better understanding of the players in the locker room, the other prospects, the other coaches, because it's not like you could hop in the car on any given weekend and make that trip. So planning those in advance and, and doing it so often, uh, it must have been a big priority for you. Yeah, it was. I felt like it was really important for me to get up there as much as I could and build relationships uh, with the coaches and all the players and, you know, just start to get familiar with the campus and, you know, just how things work around there. I know you had an indication of that Penn State was a special place for you when you committed, but as those visits kept coming along and as you started getting more familiar with the fan base and hearing from them, I would imagine, on social media and, and other outlets, maybe just down there in Las Vegas with, with alumni and that network that, that's so large across the country, what did you learn about Penn State and what lied ahead for you that, that maybe took you by surprise in a pleasant way? You know, the more I went there, the more I fell in love with it and the more I was confident in my decision that that was the right place for me. When you signed with Penn State, there was no offensive coordinator in place. Mm -hmm. you, you, you had Ricky Ronnie, who recruited you for a, a long time, was there when you committed. You worked with him at camp last summer. He goes to Old Dominion, and James Franklin's, you know, working the phones, trying to figure out who his next guy is going to be when it's time for you to put pen to paper in December. Any part of you kind of think about looking around a little bit, or, or was there any second guessing because of that? fact that you didn't know not even who the play caller was would be but also what kind of offense was going to be in place how did James Franklin kind of manage that situation for you uh, well it obviously it wasn't a hard choice for me uh, I have full trust and full confidence in coach Franklin that you know he'd find somebody who would fit the system well that I could work with well and you know he's a great great coach great great recruiter but you know found coach Soraka starting to build that relation relationship with him and you know it's taking off from there Shiraka gets hired, gets flown down to Dallas. We, we see him pretty quickly at the Cotton Bowl. It all happened so quickly once that decision was made. He moves in from Minnesota. How fast was he on the phone with you? Uh, I think it was probably like the day after he got the job. Uh, we talked about that a little bit, introduced himself to our, introduced ourselves to each other. And then he actually flew down to Vegas. I forgot when exactly it was, but he flew down to Vegas and uh, we went to I'm going to go eat with my family and, you know, chop some stuff up. If you had to summarize that message, I'm not asking for a transcript of the, the hours that you spent together, but if you had to summarize the message uh, that he flew down there to deliver to you and your family, what would it be? Uh, you know, I just got the vibe from him that he was really calm about it and that he was really confident. So, you know, I felt like I could put my trust into him. You know, Coach Franklin could put his trust in him and I could put my trust in him. That hire for you, was that uh, about as good as it could have gone? Um, so someone that you would have been familiar with from what he did at Minnesota? What was your familiarity with Kirk before he took this job? Oh, well, my uh, my cousin who used to live with me, he's uh, in safety at Minnesota. So, you know, I already knew of him. And, I of course, I watched my cousin's game, so I got to see the offense in play. And I actually took a visit to Minnesota last sometime last year. So I got to see you know, how he worked. Okay. So he recruited you on behalf of the Golden Gophers before. 
Yes. Okay. So, so there was a lot of uh, understanding of who he was in place already. That that probably made it a lot easier for everybody. So you would say the ice was already broken between you and and Kirk Shiraka before he actually flew down to Las Vegas because you had some history. Definitely. Okay. Uh, and your cousin did not come into this interview with that information. Who? Who? What's your cousin's name? Jordan Howden. He's actually the safety who uh, when we played when we played Minnesota last year, he got the pick to win the game. I wasn't going to bring it up because I think our I think our <laughs> listeners knew, but yeah, that came yeah. up with a huge play and it had to be a moment of mixed emotions for you watching watching that happen. And I, I'm going to go to now to the guy who threw that interception, unfortunately, and Sean Clifford coming back as a starting quarterback, going to be a redshirt junior here in 2020. Are you in communication with him, with other members of this quarterback room? Because as we discussed at the top, you were supposed to be on campus with these guys, you know, within these next couple of weeks. That's not happening. But how much are you trying to insert yourself into the dialogue as as a quarterback at Penn State now? You know, I already I've already started growing the relationship with them. You know, I just want to be able to learn a lot from each one of those guys. And uh, you know, I on my official visit, I got to hang out with them a lot and uh, be with them as a person rather than a football player. You know, our relationships are already starting to build together. And, you know, once I once I'm able to get into them quarterback meetings, you know, I feel like I'll be able to just sit back and watch and learn learn how college football works. Now, everybody on this 2020 roster at quarterback, yourself all the way up to Sean, will be eligible to be on campus again in 2021. Will Levis, uh, the two they signed before you and Roberson and Johnson, you're the fifth scholarship quarterback in this room now. When you think about competition and the way quarterbacks come and go on college campuses these days with the transfer portal and how that all kind of plays out, how important is it for you to make a strong early impression and state your case? Because it seems like this is going to be a very contentious situation, you know, not just in 2020 for spots across the depth chart, but certainly 2021 and beyond. You know, I have a ton of respect for each one of those guys. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I've never been one to run from competition, uh, especially it doesn't matter age, height, any of that. So, I, you know, I'm ready to come in and, you know, do what I can for the team. You mentioned competition. Very clearly, if you're going to go to play quarterback at Bishop Gorman, you're not worried about it or you have a lot of confidence in yourself. And uh, let's just look at the schedule last year. I was checking it out before we came on. In September, before you hit your bye week, you had a game against one of the top programs out of Utah. You flew out to play a team in Hawaii. You played Servite High School, which is a premier program in Southern California. And then you went and played another team in Utah. Eventually, you got to Nevada, and you ended up in another state championship game because that's where Bishop Gorman always seems to end up. What did that do, that experience of getting on flights to go to high school games? What did that whole experience of playing for a program of that pedigree with a national schedule do for you to prepare you for what what awaits in the Power 5 lifestyle? You know, Bishop Gorman definitely prepared me a lot for the college football lifestyle. You know, they did a great job of getting us games all over the place so that we can get that experience before we get to the next level. So we're not going in, not knowing what to expect. You know, we traveled all across the country, played everywhere, played teams from everywhere. So, you know, games like that, I think have really prepared me and, you know, got me ready for playing on the road in college and you know, dealing with everything that comes with it. 
Let's quickly take a look at the resume from high school for Micah Bowens. Surpassed 5,000 passing yards during his career at Bishop Gorman, adding nearly 1,700 rushing yards, 85 total touchdowns. And as we said, had to wait his turn behind a couple Power 5 bound quarterbacks before he stepped up. Earned All-State honors as a junior and a senior. State championship in 2018, another state championship game appearance last fall to complete his career. And, Micah, the one thing you mentioned there, and it stood out to me because it's something Franklin said during signing day, you mentioned height. You, you said age, height. When you were talking about the competition in quarterback room, that would probably be a big knock on you, what I would imagine, in, in certain circles, the fact that you are not the six-foot-four prototypical, quote-unquote, quarterback and Franklin says he feels like you may see some Trace McSorley in yourself McSorley is a guy who that was the knock on him his size coming out of high school and he ended up breaking every meaningful quarterback record at Penn State during his career is that something that you would relate to that what Franklin told us that that you do see some McSorley in, in your style of play and what you bring to a locker room absolutely you know Trace McSorley did a lot of great things and you know in my opinion, you know, I can't change what other people think, but in my opinion, I feel like a few inches isn't going to change, you know, anything. And there's been tons of great quarterbacks who are six feet and under who have done a bunch of great things in the league and in college. So, you know, I don't, I don't let my height be something that holds me back. Did you have any other college programs trying to talk you into maybe playing a different position. You said you had experience uh, at safety. That was where you kind of broke in onto the field initially at Bishop Gorman. Was anyone trying to sell you on a vision that took you away from quarterback at the next level? Uh, Yeah, I had an offer uh, to play corner or safety at Oregon and then athlete at Nebraska. And once again, I'm sure that you've realized this by now, but if you hadn't, Trace McSorley, a lot of schools, initially Vanderbilt and James Franklin, uh, viewed him as a safety prospect over quarterback prospect. So it's uh, so another kind of parallel there. Looking ahead a little bit here, it does not take long in college football for you get to get reminded that competition always keeps coming and coming. Penn State recently added their 2021 quarterback commit, Christian Veyu. So once again, we talked about the guys ahead of you. Now there's another guy that's going to be following you to campus do you reach out? Do you make communication with a guy like Christian when he comes on board? I don't know if you're communicating at all with any of the 2021 commits, but especially when it's a guy at your position, how do you kind of you know navigate that relationship knowing that he's got your job and his sights and he's going to, you know, on his list is going to be to surpass you on the depth chart when he gets to campus? Uh, yeah, you know, I congratulated him when he committed and uh, welcome to the quarterback room. But, uh, you know, for right now, you know, we can be, we're all buddy buddy, but you know, once we get to campus, it's a competition, and that's that's the bottom line. He got, he's going to try to beat me out. I got to try to beat him out. What is the feedback from your early enrollee classmates? Uh, Eleven guys from the 2020 class uh, got to campus in early January. Unfortunately, they had to leave campus before spring practice, and they didn't get that full experience that they were looking for. But what was the early feedback from them in terms of what you need to be prepared for when you first get to campus and kind of the challenges that are going to await? Yeah, you know, they, they loved it. You know, they can't wait to get back. But, you know, obviously it's college football. It's a different level of, it's a different level of activity and play. So, you know, you got to be ready. You got to be conditioned. You got to be strong. You got to be ready for anything that comes your way. Getting ready these days is harder than ever because of the limitations we're all under and, and what we can do and where we can go. 
What are you doing, Micah, at home right now to put yourself in a, a spot where you feel good about your physical condition at quarterback heading to campus whenever you do get the green light to make that trip? Yeah, well, thankfully, I have uh, quite a few weight sets and I have a treadmill, so it's not too hard for me to stay in shape. And I've been getting, I've been getting a lot of work on my little, getting to work a lot on my uh, little muscles, you know, and um, starting to work on little kinks I have, you know, little things that I know I need to improve on. Is there a specific way that you're able to prepare from a mental standpoint? Is it Kirk Shiraka communicating with you on a consistent basis? Have they given you a, a full-on playbook to this point? How does that all work out? They haven't given me a full playbook, but they've given me access to all the installs and uh, the film. So I've been getting to do a lot of studying with that. How often do you no check problem. in with Kirk? Um, probably about once a week. Yeah. When I when I talk about that 2021 class, going back to it really quick, I'm sure you're aware down in Nevada, the team that played you in the state championship last year, I don't want to bring up a bad memory, but you know, Liberty out of Henderson, they've got a tight end down there who thinks very highly of Penn State, uh, Moliki Matavao, and he is a player that I'd imagine that you may or may not be involved with on the recruiting trail because of, of your closeness to him. Yeah, definitely. You know, Coach Bowen and uh, Coach Franklin make sure to remind me that I, that I stay on them. Keep reminding them where home is at. What kind of a talent is he? Um, you know, you've, you've gotten a closer look at him than, than just about anybody else. He's a freak. You know, he can he can do anything you need him to on that field. He can block, he can catch, he can run. You know, he's, he's a freakish athlete for sure. You committed off of one visit. He has not been to Happy Valley yet, but are you feeling a positive vibe in terms of the relationship between him and Penn State right now? Absolutely. You know, he speaks, he speaks pretty highly of uh, Coach Franklin and Penn State. So, you know, I think once he gets on campus, that's just going to solidify, you know, how he feels and give him a sense of whether or not that, that's where he thinks he should be. What would it mean to you personally to be able to, to follow up your arrival on campus by helping to bring another top player out of the state of Nevada? I think he may be the top ranked player in the 2021 class out of your home state. What would that mean to you? Yeah, you know, that'd be big. That'd be big to be able to start a pipeline. You know, a lot of people don't have respect for Vegas football as a whole. You know, everybody just sees it as Bishop Gorman. There's a ton of talent all over the valley. So being able to start pipeline to Penn State or even anywhere else, you know, there's there's ton of talent, ton of talent out here that needs to be recognized. What are your goals for college, the football field, academically? Do you know what you want to pursue there? And just in general, when you look back four or five years down the line, what do you want to say you did during your time at Penn State? You know, academically, uh, I've been looking into a lot of majors. I haven't really decided yet, but uh, front runner, some probably business or uh, communications. And then uh, athletically, you know, I want to be able to do everything the fans want. You know, I want to I be able to win championship, national championship. You know, as a team, I think it's really important that we uh, gel together and that we were, we're able to, you know, connect on a level where it's more than just football. And so that we have those connections with each other, even when football is over. That we, you know, we can reach out to each other, help each other with anything. Last question for you here, and it's not a question. I'm, I'm actually going to hand the mic over to you here, Micah. Quarterback spot doesn't take long. If you get in that role, people are going to know your personality. Penn State fans are getting to know Sean Clifford. They wrapped themselves all over Trace McSorley for a few years and, and, and loved a lot about him. What is Penn State getting in you personality-wise beyond the football field? What are you bringing to Penn State football? You know, I want to be somebody that younger kids can look up to and model their play after. You know, I want to be somebody who makes an impact in the community. You know, I want to be able to do big things for the school. And, you know, 
I'll put it, just want people to know that I'll put it all out there for them. Again, about 2,300 miles separates Bishop Gorman from Beaver Stadium. That's the trip that Bowens will be making very soon. Micah, thanks so much for the time today. We look forward to sharing this conversation with Penn State fans and certainly look forward to seeing you around campus. No problem. Thank you. Again, big shout out to Micah Bowens for giving us his time. Uh, it's going to be an interesting situation to see how that plays out, especially when Sean Clifford moves on from the program. A lot of names uh, that have become familiar to us, including Christian Veyu. By the way, if you missed that Christian Veyu um, interview, I mentioned him in, in that, that conversation with Micah Bowens. That was last week's first episode. So uh, go back, check that conversation out, get a better understanding of, of what Penn State's getting in their 2021 quarterback. Uh, moving ahead to you know, actually a big jump to the 2023 class. And um, you may think, wow, it's a bit early to be talking about these guys. Well, Penn State doesn't think so. They are putting out a lot of 2023 offers. They're approaching 50 nationwide to high school freshmen. But Philadelphia and, in fact, Pennsylvania, Sean pointed this number out before we started recording, eight high school freshmen in the state of Pennsylvania currently have offers from Penn State. Uh, and, and that's a big number. Why? Because uh, 2020, they offered seven total players in the state of Pennsylvania. 2019, they offered five total in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, that is a significant situation brewing, and I don't think it necessarily speaks entirely to the talent level of the 2023 class in Pennsylvania. You know, still tip of the cap to them, but clearly Penn State is changing up their approach. Well, I mean, you look at, at how things are going in recruiting in general, and, you know, if you don't offer early, you're kind of, it's kind of a stigma that that kid has against you. I mean, it's, 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 it's something that they can hold against you, even if you do it the right way, even if you do take your time and do your full evaluation and get to know the kid. And, and if there's so many things like these kids can't, you know, you can't pick up the phone and call a 2023 kid. You can't do it with a 2022 kid right now. So um, you, you want to do it the right way, but that's just not how recruiting works anymore. And and you're both right. When you talk about it's too early to be talking about 2023 kids, you're absolutely right. And, <laughs> and Penn State thinks it's not. I mean, they're right too, because they have to get on this. If not, they get left in the dust and, and you don't want to do that, especially in your, um, you know, in your region region in your wheelhouse. So it's a it's a very fine line to walk because you're I mean the the days are pretty much gone where Penn State's going to go to say Philadelphia and offer a freshman or a sophomore and that guy's going to turn around and say, "Okay, I'm coming. I'm in." And that's uh, you know, that that's something to take into account. I mean, at times you wanted to hold yourself back from offering just to 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 give yourself uh, the flexibility in you know, not taking the kid essentially. Now all of a sudden, that's uh, that's really off the table, so you don't have to worry about that. So they've offered a bunch of guys. Um, you know, in the 2023 class, we mentioned eight guys in 2023, including Will Norman yesterday, who has not played a snap of varsity football. He's a tight end, defensive end, basketball player. And that's where we're at right now. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that's happening right now. And some of these kids, well, you know, you've seen it with uh, in the 2021 class. They offered uh, two kids at Imatep in the defensive backfield. I mean, they haven't given the time of day since uh, for probably a year now. So it's a uh, it's crazy how this thing works. Um, you're probably looking at uh, some relationships that that could be soured because of this, but I think the the benefit outweighs that. And it's a, it's a it's it's so crazy to think about this as college freshmen weighing the the pros and cons of offering a kid. But I mean, that's where we're at in the recruiting game. And and to me, it's unfortunate because you know you're not you're not doing the due diligence that you need to do to figure out if he fits in your program. You're just kind of throwing in an offer, but Hey, if you're going to, if it's hurting you, you have to change up your approach. 
it's wild because because of the situation we're all under, these are high school freshmen who have not actually gone been underway with a true legitimate high school offseason regiment. I mean, you're, you're taking that. That's a huge part of the process for development and growth and, and accountability when you're in high school is, OK, football season's over. You did good on the field. Now what are you going to do in the winter workouts and the spring workouts and the summer conditioning and all that stuff that's attached to to being part of a program and being a good teammate? You know, right now it's it's sitting at home and trying to find some weights and maybe going out for a run and and, and doing what you can. Maybe pushing a car in neutral. Who knows? But I think with these freshmen, uh, it, it's it's fascinating. You mentioned Will Norman, who Brian Doan has a write up on on the site right now at a Roman Catholic basketball kid. Uh, the you know this is the kind of offer that I think folks who just can't wrap their head around where recruiting has gone in college football are just going to shake their head at because they're going to point to you know. We got this, you know, blue class linebacker who has 250 career total tackles. He's a senior at our high school, does everything right, and he can't sniff an offer. And you got Will Norman, who has all the measurables, but never played a down high school football. Penn State just served up an offer on a platter for the kid already. So, you know, that is really, you know, it, it shows you what the recruiting game is about, the, the long-term investment, thinking about a trajectory and physical growth. And, you know, and, you know, there is a race to be first in line because, let's face it, we do talk to kids on the phone you see kids tweet not not so subtly and saying you know uh where were you at the beginning of this thing uh where were you when the offers were rolling through what took you so long and i think you know there's something to be said for that and and coaches got to play that game sometimes and it seems like penn state is more willing to play that game based on these offers among those eight freshman offers going out sean five of them in Philadelphia. We mentioned Norman. Another interesting one here because of the connection, uh, Jeremiah Trotter's son, a former four-time uh, pro bowler with the Philadelphia Eagles, his son Josiah, uh, the next man up there at St. Joe's, it would seem. St. Joe's Prep in Philly. Um, he has an offer from Temple that came through in March. This is his first Power 5 offer. Penn State extending that on Monday. Uh, ended up working his way into the starting lineup for one of the top programs in Pennsylvania, one of the top programs in the entire region. Um, at St. Joe's, and, and he's the younger brother of Jeremiah Trotter Jr., who did not get a Penn State offer, and which was you know so, still surprising to some people on our message board, and, and I get that, uh, but it, it's come up a few times, and I think every time we mention Jeremiah Trotter Jr., people will do a double take because they see he's the number one ranked inside linebacker in 24-7 sports rankings. They see he has that lineage uh, of, of a dad who excelled at the NFL level at that same position, and Penn State did not extend that offer Josiah did not have to wait long for an answer from the Nittany Lions as he's now on that target board for 2023, one of those many high school freshmen that we mentioned. It's it's wild, man. I mean, it, you look at Jeremiah Trotter Jr., who we have as the number one inside linebacker. I, I'm i not quite buying that one. Um, I think he's a very good player. Um, obviously, he's going to Clemson, so, you know, they, they like what he sees. Um, you know, I, I'm sort of in the middle of between where Penn State was not offering him and where we have him as the number one inside linebacker. I think he's a good player. I don't know that he's that high, but he didn't get an offer. And his little brother, who's just a freshman, you know, and is going to be, you know, he's got the name recognition. He's got a lot of things going for him. He gets his offer. That's just absolutely wild to me. And it's just a, a symbol of where recruiting is going in this sort of thing. And, and go, it goes back to what I've said before. We have a lot of people that say, you know, you look at a kid and you, you, you want to rate him off his offer list. I mean, that's, 
pretty hollow right now, and that's that that's the direction it's going. So um, it's it's crazy to think about that. Josiah Trotter, um, you know, I think he's going to be a, a good one, but obviously it, it's so early in his high school career, you're not sure which direction. I mean, he's five eleven right now. Maybe he's a five eleven when he's a senior. Maybe he's six three when he's a senior. Uh, it's it's so so far from that. And they've offered a bunch of guys. I mean, you look at who they've offered in, in Pittsburgh. I mean, Tamir Robinson is a pretty good looking safety from the City League at Brashear, and Rodney Gallagher, who could be a five star point guard, um, you know, on the basketball court. It's, Gallagher looks like he could be an all timer on the Pennsylvania high school scene. Yeah, he's I mean, he's pretty ridiculous. That, I know yeah. that's he's got a long way to go, but that's everything you hear and see from this kid as a freshman. It's special. Yes, but but back to Philly. I mean, you've offered Trotter there. You offered a couple of kids, uh, you know, in Philly as well. Ramir Stewart's a guy that's been on the radar at Imatep as a safety. Sean Battle at corner at Goretti. Samaj Bridgman uh, has offers from all over uh, at Bishop McDivitt. Penn State has not had a ton of success in Philly, and that's uh, that's going back for for a couple of years now. I mean, you look at James Franklin, and obviously he's from right outside of Philly, uh, played at Neshaminy, so you know he's got some name recognition there. But Penn State's really not been good in Philly. You mentioned uh, going back and looking at the uh, at the numbers from the class. You go back to 2015 when it's the last really semblance of success that they had there, and that's been more around Philly with Ryan Bates, uh, Ryan Buckholz, John Reed, who's from Jersey, and then they went into Philly for Sharif Miller. That's that's pretty much it. I mean, you get Shaka Tony, who really wasn't the you know uh, uh, blue chip or four star type kid, but man, it's a it's been a long time since they've had success in Philly. They had Josh Gaddis in there. They transitioned uh, when he left to some different guys. Phil Galliano was there. Uh, it just didn't work out for what for whatever reason. Now they've moved Terry Smith there. Not moved Terry Smith. He's still in Pittsburgh, but they have Terry Smith in Philly, and I think that's a big reason that you're seeing a lot of these offers going out. It's relationship building with the coaches. It, I don't want to say that Philly's been neglected because the talent level at where Penn State's looking to be, uh, you know, at that elite level, hasn't been there uh, for the most part. But now you got to get back in there, and offering is is the way to sort of extend that olive branch if you, if you're a coaching staff. To get back and to get uh, you know a little bit of momentum uh, reestablished because it's like I said it's really been a soft spot for Penn State and it's been a glaring one I, I would say. And you would think adding uh, Dion Barnes uh, as a, as an assistant to this staff here in 2020 would help uh, experience as a player and as a coach at Northeast High School in Philadelphia. Uh, well, I guess we'll find out because you said going back to 2015, a lot has changed for this program. They, you would think they carry a lot more clout. Um, just in terms of who they are, you know, the, at that point, Franklin was seven and six for one season at Penn State. They've, they've got a lot more going on for them at this stage. But yeah, I, I mean, I'll do respect to, to some of the guys you mentioned and, and, and Shaka Tony, of course, who, you know, came a lot, has come a long way since he got to campus. You know, you want to see Penn State go toe to toe with, with a guy who's got a bunch of marquee SEC offers on the table, maybe has that Notre Dame offer or Ohio State offer on the table and picks Penn State and comes in from Philadelphia. I think that's how you really, really generate that that kind of uh, head turning in, among kids in that city and then they're, they're going to follow that kid's career at Penn State closely. They're going to watch him every time he's on TV and that, that can really lend lend itself well in the cycles ahead. And the four star that you do get holds up a Wawa. 
I mean, that's that. There's some bad but luck geez, involved there yeah, as well. Good so, point. I mean, it's uh, it, it's crazy, and they they've got to reestablish themselves because I think the talent level is on the on the rise in Philly, and and like I said, it hasn't been there. Um, you know, when you look across the board, I think uh, you know they also had Karamo Diabate committed back in the day, and he you know ended up not doing anything. But Tyke Smith at Imatep is doing really well at, at West Virginia, but there are guys that were sort of on that line. Um, that that Penn State didn't go after, and and I think they're trying to to reclaim a little bit of the territory that you you would think that they had a little bit more pull in. So be be really interesting to uh, to watch Philly over the next couple of years. Like I said, the the talent level is rising, and and Penn State needs to get back in there. Well, we have plenty of time to talk about this group of 2023 prospects. Uh, got a story up on Monday afternoon on Josiah Trotter. Uh, learn a little bit more about him up on lines247.com. Shift gears and finish off this episode with another plunge into the five-star mailbag. Again, the way this works, and by the way, it's generated a lot of questions and a lot of comments, and fortunately, as a sidebar, those five-star ratings, um, again, go give us a five-star review on on the uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, lines 24 seven, it'll pop up type in Penn state football. It'll pop up, uh, and, and leave that review, give your question and we'll get it on the air at some point. Uh, we're doing our best to work through. We were going to hit three of them today. I think we got two of them on the last episode. So feedback's been great so far. Keep it coming. Um, and, and don't be shy. Let us know what you're thinking. And again, we appreciate all the, the, the kind comments that have come before some of these, uh, the questions as well. Really, really nice to hear that kind of feedback, uh, when we sit down here for, for a couple hours a week and, and put together these episodes and then Sean has all the editing to do and and we got the interviews and so a lot of work goes into it it's nice to know people people care so that's great um three questions we'll start here Sean from Saquon Sanders in 2020 recruiting class the Nittany Lions took five offensive linemen with the limited amount of space left in the 2021 recruiting class how many offensive linemen can Penn State realistically take again two on board right now Nate Bruce Landon Tengwall Numbers being what they are, I think you're, you you go shooting for three. That that number is probably more like four max at five. Like I said, numbers aren't black and white. Um, you, if you land, if you have, you find yourself in a position to land Nolan Rucci and Tristan Lee, you take it. If you find yourself in a position to land Nolan Rucci and another guy, um, maybe that's a Diego Pounds or one of those out of region guys, uh, then then you take it as well. I think the numbers four here. Um, you know, it it's not. Uh, you know, it's not a, a spot where you have a ton of space, but when you have five offensive linemen, you're going to have more scholarships allotted for those. So I think the number that I would settle on here is four. If you get Rucci, obviously it goes a long way in filling out and, and you don't have to get to that number, but four is the one that I would settle on here. When you look at that, uh, Dylan Fairchild stands out as a potential outlier here, number two guard in the, in the class, and we'll see if he gets to Penn State. It seems like he's going to be an SEC player at the end of the day, but do, do those two, let's say it is two more, they have to be at the tackle spot. I mean, does, does, doesn't it feel like they need to at least project initially as being perimeter blockers? I would lean yes because tackles are more valuable. I mean, no no offense to our interior listeners, but uh, <laughs> tackles are, are what you want because you can swing them in and out. And we mentioned before, Landon Tangwell could be a tackle. So I think you you always want to take more tackles than guards. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would say I would lean yes. I don't think it's a hard answer that it's yes because if you got you know Rocco Spindler once in or Dylan Fairchild's probably a guard, um, a couple of these other guys are are still out there as well. Um, but you want I think you want to take as many tackles. And 
you, you look at a guy like Diego Pounds, um, you know, who's a, a project in probably every sense. Uh, you know, he, he's a tackle project, but you know, could see him in that sort of Des Holmes role, um, playing guard or playing wherever you need him to play um, if he does get to that level. So I would say, I, I would say yes. I mean, you 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 certainly want more tackles on the board than you have uh, interior guys. All right, question number two from the mailbag from PSU Lions fan in Northern VA. If a kid commits to a school early, do other schools have an obligation at all to turn down the volume with calls, text, contact, or is it essentially a gentleman's agreement that may or may not be respected based on the level of the player? This is a fun one. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and there's no right answer here because, you know, every school is different. Every uh, situation is different. I mean, you know, if Penn State, you know, take Julian Fleming last year, uh, commits to Ohio State, obviously Penn State still wants to stay in contact with him. Penn State still wants to be in it because he's in your backyard. Um, a, a receiver from Florida may not be the same situation. So a couple of questions within this question. Do schools have an obligation at all to turn down the volume with calls and text? Do they have an obligation? Absolutely not. And but that can that can end up biting you at that school. It can end up biting you with the uh, with the relationship with the coaches. Word could get out in that area that they're being pushy. They're being over. Um, you know, sort of just being way too strong about it. So most schools, and I would when I say most, I'd say the overwhelming majority of coaches will give the kid their space and. At the other, on the other side, you pick your spots. I mean, you don't want to go and say this kid commits to to another school. You don't want to call him the next day and say, "Hey, we're still recruiting you. We're still we're not going to give up. We're not going to let you go this way because that's going to sour some kids to begin with." So, um, I, I think that th- there's not an obligation to do so. Gentlemen's agreement's probably a good way to put it. I mean, you you give the player their space, and then eventually you can come back around and sort of, uh, I don't want to say you're vultures or sharks, but you, you pick your spot and you go after it. So um, it, it's a really interesting line to walk because there is no obligation to do so. Um, it depends on where the kid is, what, the, what goes into it, what, how much time and uh, resources you've spent recruiting this kid. It's, it's, it's a really funny line to walk. Penn State, for the most part, does a pretty good job. Uh, can, you know, compared to some of the schools that that, that I've covered in the past, uh, you know, on a national level, they do a pretty good job giving the kid their space. They'll stay in contact through the coach or through a trainer or through something like that. There's always these intermediate contacts that you can work through um, to uh, to stay in contact without being in contact. If that makes sense. This is where you know it, it gets psychological. Some may say psychotic, even with 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 the way that coaches approach these players who are committed elsewhere. Um, you know, and, and the games that go on within this structure. I, I think you know an example is it may be something where you just kind of let a stat do the talking for you. Maybe it's a wide receiver you're after, and the school that he wants to go to. You know the the box the 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 stat sheet is not good. You just send them a screenshot of the stat sheet through six games and say, "Is this where you want to play wide receiver?" You know it it can be that simple, and at the same time, it can also be um you know where I think the important thing is there there's a line. The the kids like to to use that phrase. I'm they're showing me love. There's a line where it gets you know they're creeping me out and and they're being annoying and they're being pushy. Landon Tengwall, I think, is a guy that coaches understood. He's going to be very engaging during the process. When he shuts it down, 
he's all in on that school. And he said to me on the on the call, you know, this is a kid that I'm sure plenty of schools would love to still be in contact with and, and communicating with. He said it's gone really dead. He said it's the quietest it's been since probably the summer before his freshman year in high school because I think they understood his personality where he was going to make a pick and then he was going to say, hey, thanks, but I'm taking tunnel vision now. I'm with Penn State. Whereas some kids, they love the attention. And that's where you see some kids who say, I'm going to commit tomorrow, but I'm going to take five officials in the fall. You know, hey, that, that, that's that's the approach. Not all staffs are going to be on board with that. I don't think Penn State is one of those staffs. Um, but but there is a, a varied, varied mix of, of what coaches. And also, we, we have to factor in. Mom and dad may be the ones getting those texts and maybe the ones getting kind of prodded and pushed by a staff. Maybe not, maybe not the son. And, and at the end of the day, that, that can lead to some strange and awkward situations as signing day gets closer. And you may have those in house battles about what is the right fit for the next four years. It, it's funny watching Twitter's impact on this over the last couple of years or the last couple of cycles because, you know, a lot of that is showing the love is the edits and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you can lurk on Twitter and still have contact without having contact. I mean, you can like a kid's, tw- you know, y- y- this kid could be a, have committed to, to Miami as a freshman, as so many of them do. And you can still like those tweets. You can still, um, you know, just stay visible in that situation. Uh, Jay Wansider does a really good job, uh, you know, just watching my tweet deck, always liking tweets of guys that, you know, maybe aren't coming to Penn State or maybe have committed elsewhere. But you can put that bullet, you know, put it in, in a different chamber and, and wait to go back to it later. So it's really interesting how Twitter has made this. And, and on the flip side, you've got guys that commit, and we've seen this a bunch of times, guys that commit, and they, you know, they, they feel all this pressure and, and they feel all the love and they feel they get all this stuff and then they commit and then it stops. And then all of a sudden you're like, huh, I kind of missed that. Like, I, I don't know what, what, what was going on with it. And then they open their recruitment back up. And it's a, it's a really, it's a fascinating case study, uh, on sort of on the human emotion. And when you're talking about 16, 17, 18 year old kids, human emotion is kind of, uh, uh, it's kind of out the window. So it, it, it's fascinating to see how this has changed and how that this whole social um, upbringing, the social media upbringing has changed the approach for some of these kids. And this is where I think, again, when, when we can get back to campuses across the country, this is where that, hey, I didn't quite, I got shortchanged on getting to really feel this experience. I want to ride around in a golf cart around campus and feel special. I want, I want to get that, you know, uh, the, the personal tour of the facilities and the great meals. And, and I want to hear what their pitch is for me. And, you know, that's not happening right now. Virtually, I guess it's happening, but it's just a different level when you get to, to feel that and bring mom or dad and, or, or, or bring your grandmother or, or bring your girlfriend to campus and, and, ha- you know, get that. It's not the right phrase here because there's no wine involved, I don't think, usually. But, you know, get that wine and dine feel. And and that's not happening right now for these kids. But it's it's a cool thing. And it's a once-in-a-life opportunity that is extremely rare to actually get that uh, that chance when you talk about official visits. And you think about how different this cycle has been and how different these kids that are going through it. And, and even kids that are one year older than them, it's completely different than what they've gone through. So it, it's, you know, you have to find the best approaches. You have to find the best tactics that you can get and whether that's lurking. And, and we saw it a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with what Nolan Rucci tweeted out about, hey, I want my space. I'm not going to talk to anybody, any coaches for a week. Oh, that might work for one guy, but. The other guy may want to hear from you every day. I mean, it's it's just uh, the best practices are 
I don't think there's any right answer to that. Um, but it's just a case by case basis. And it's the same with a kid that commits to another school. And really, I mean, these kids that are committed to schools right now, Bud Elliott had that piece that we talked about last week. They're going to end up back on the market. So you have to keep some uh, form of connection, some form of that. And whether that's liking tweets, whether that's staying in touch with a trainer, with a parent, with a coach or something like that, you keep these lines of communications open, even if you're just not outwardly texting and calling the kid every day like you were previous uh, prior to his commitment. And let's be honest, the line of communication, two-way street, Sean, for every player maybe feeling like a little too much attention from coaching staff, there is an assistant coach getting blown up by several kids all day saying, hey, I'm ready to get my offer. Hey, where's my offer? Hey, make sure you look at my film. Hey, why haven't I gotten an offer yet? Or, Or, which is even more awkward, I'm ready to commit to the offer that you gave me. Am I, can I do that? Why not? Ooh, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and that happens a lot more than you'd think. And by the way, Sean, things have changed so much. Even just when we, when we were in high school, not everybody had cell phones, you know, in their pocket. If you did, you didn't have internet. And now, you know, you can get that DM from a coach sitting in your science class at, at nine o'clock a.m. Think about what you had to do. It was a lot harder to communicate with a committed kid without people noticing. Uh, you know, you had to show up to a school or you had to call the kid's coach or you had to call his home phone. Uh, there, there was not a lot of uh, ways to kind of tiptoe your way around it. Now, yeah, you drop an emoji in a DM, the kid's going to see it uh, 3,000 miles away sitting in his classroom right away. So it's a completely different ball game and, and being able to tap a kid on the shoulder, whether he's committed or not. We um, are old. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> one more question here from Boomtown77. This one is more about the current roster. Which non-starting players do you think will have the biggest impact during the 2020 season? A little tricky because we don't fully know who's going to be those first team guys, but it's a good one because you know I think there's a few players who fit the description. I'll go first. I think an easy answer is whoever, you know, behind Journey Brown, take your pick. Devin Ford, Noah Kane, they're going to be actively involved. You know, I think either of those guys um, could end up having a huge season if something were to happen to Journey Brown uh, from an injury standpoint. We could be talking about one of those guys becoming a big-time star by the end of the 2020 season. Either way, though, I think they're solidified in that rotation. Noah Kane would would have to probably get the edge uh, based on what he did last year and and what he put up reaching the end zone uh, seven times as a freshman. Uh, and I think whoever doesn't start at cornerback, I still think it's going to be either Keaton Ellis or Marquise Wilson. I know Donovan Johnson is the name on top there on that spring depth chart. Um, but but I think, you know, take your pick between those two. Whoever's coming off the sideline during the game, I think they're they're primed to have a big year. And I think that's why there, there, there should be a lot of excitement about what you've got at cornerback right now. Because I do feel like both those players could be of starter quality. Um, so that's kind of where I would go, basically. The uh, four guys from that 2019 class here in their second year on campus. I don't think there's any question here. I mean, you look at the position that they've used those rotations at running back, obviously you covered. Um, It'll be interesting to see if that second tight end can step up, whether that's Zach Koontz or whether that's Brenton Strange. A guy that I look to, Des Holmes, probably your sixth offensive lineman right now, was going to be the starter at left guard in the spring. He's going to, you know, be at tackle and guard. And they've they've played three, you know, I, I know it's a different offensive line coach, but they've played three tackles. They've played three guards in the past and they like what Des Holmes could bring to the table um you want to pick a wide receiver obviously i mean let's let's be honest where, where this roster stands you want to be able to I go can with tell a, you which starter will have the biggest impact i yeah, mean that, yeah. that's 
Talk I don't about think that's any question. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith is a guy that I keep going back to as a, as a potential guy that you know may not be a starter right now, but has the talent to to be a starter by the end of the year. And you don't usually say that about about a true freshman uh, defensive end. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that a non-starter is going to make an impact there. Um, you know, whether it is uh, Jason Owe and Shaka Tony starting, Adisa Isaac, I think is going to have a, a big year. And then at defensive tackle, you've got a rotation anyway, so you're going to go with that direction. But I'm with you at corner. Um, you know, you've got a lot of options there. We'll see if Donovan Johnson is, it does end up at, at, in that starting role. I like Marquise Wilson a lot. Uh, I think Tariq Castro Fields is sort of solidified on that other side. I know people don't really feel the same way, but, uh, that's going to, that's going to mean that Marquise Wilson or Keaton Ellis is going to fit into this, uh, line of questioning that we're getting about having the biggest impact. I love Marquise Wilson. I think that's probably my answer right now. There you go. I thought you might throw in Akeem Beeman because you have mentioned him quite a bit, but yeah, tackles a tackles a cluster. Not not nearly as 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 clear of the situation as the other as we covered, but I thought you might toss that name in there to to throw a redshirt freshman in there on the interior, the defensive lineman. It would take something special, and and they really like what they have with Hakeem Beeman. But uh, you know, I want to see a little bit more before I throw him in there. I still have him as the fifth guy with uh, Fred Hansard and Judge Culpepper ahead of him. Um, you know, on, on that second team. So there's that, but I. I think there's there's other spots like I said defensive end it's probably a lot easier to make that transition you look at a guy like Smith Vilbert is he going to hop Shane Simmons um, will that happen I I don't know you, you're not going to know without seeing these guys in pads but I think it would be easier to make that uh, transition as a redshirt freshman defensive end than it would be to be on the interior yeah, and 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 I know Kevin Givens did it. I mean, it, it, there's there's no question. I don't think Hakeem Beeman couldn't do it, but I think he's got more traffic ahead of him than Givens did at that point. And we got to remember either Adisa Isaac or Jason Away coming off the sidelines in games this fall to start. So there's there's another potential impact guy. So we gave you a ton of answers there, Boomtown seventy seven. But thanks for the questions. I think it it's been a nice addition to these episodes. Keep them coming, keep them fresh, um, and, and give us more to talk about here on the episodes ahead. If it's a topic worth expanding, we may get into to almost entire episodes or or half of an episode on some of these questions if it's something that we can really sink our teeth into. Um, so again, drop a five star review. Yeah, throw your questions in there and uh, it'll be added to our mailbag we're going to do our best to get to uh, at least a couple of these if not three or four um, on a consistent basis episode by episode uh, listen on apple Podcasts, listen on spotify listen on stitcher but you want to post those on apple Podcasts. so of course stay informed on lines 247.com got a lot of content up there right now plenty on recruiting some interesting stuff on the new transfer portal ratings that 24 7 sports just released that impacted some of the outgoing penn state players like justin shorter ricky slade uh but that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, thanks to Sean. Thanks to Micah Bowens. I'm Tyler Donahue. You've been tuned in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.